The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 20. If you're following along in the books under the chairs, it's going to be on page 681, or you can follow on, on the screen behind me. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus, his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This is God's word. So, uh, I guess it's apropos on Father's Day. Um, if you know me very well, uh, I, I tend to think like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man. I like to think of myself as a dude, like a, as, a, as a man, a, so hopefully fairly masculine. Um, but there are certain traits that I have that probably aren't super masculine. I, I have a couple of very pronounced fears. And uh, th- this the one that's like the biggest one is my fear of heights. And I've had this my entire life. And I just come to a place, I'm not embarrassed about it anymore. It's just true. I, I, I am afraid of heights. When I say heights, I mean, like, I mean like tall chairs kind of heights. Ladders, roofs. I remember being a kid, like my mom and dad were, I don't know what they were doing on the roof. They're up there on the roof. I don't know, putting something up there. I, I don't know what they were doing. And I was like, hey, I'll shimmy up this uh, shimmy because that's what little kids do. I was going to shimmy up the ladder and I'm going to jump on the roof with them. And I got up to that edge where you have to like climb up off the ladder onto the roof. And I was stuck. I was like, nope, I, I'm, I'm right here. I'm, not, I'm neither going to be on the ladder to be able to get down, neither am I going to be on the roof. I'm just in this between state, and I'm probably just going to die right here in this very state unless somebody comes and helps me and saves me. I, I am afraid, I'm deathly afraid of heights. And I also don't like snakes very much. It's not, as, not quite as much as heights, but it's pretty close. I mean, it's up there. So let me just tell you, and you guys have probably seen these, the, probably the two most terrifying videos that I've seen in the past six months online, Okay. So the first one, and you guys have probably seen this, uh, the, the largest, the tallest residential building in the world is in Dubai. And for some reason, because humans want to find out more, more ways to be stupid and ridiculous, they built a ledge, more like a, it's like a diving board off the edge of this building. Have you guys seen this online? They built this diving board on the top of the building 
there's like a large platform and there's a zip line running from the top of this building down into the bay below. And to christen this like stupid, like it's stupid enough to go up to the top of this building and decide, hey, I'm going to slide off of it on a zip line. If you're the type of person that says, hey, that sounds awesome, then man, my, my, I'm, I'm in admiration of you, but that is not gonna happen. The only way it could happen to me is if somebody like, if somebody roofied me and put me into the harness and sent me off the side of the building, that's the only way I can imagine this happening to me. But to christen this platform on the edge of this building, they brought in some of the greatest base jumpers in the world. You guys know what base jumpers are? They're the stupid people who jump off high, tall buildings and other kind of structures. These base jumpers climb to the, go to the top of this building and they have cameras on top of their head as you see them. But let me tell you how t- tall this building is. And some of the shots they're showing, there are clouds below the platform. I am not making this up. Clouds below the flat, flat, platform. And they have pictures of the guys with the GoPros on their head, like running and jump, not on the zip line, just freestyle, just jumping off the edge of the building and falling down. They show them like doing stupid things like, like one time that, I would have to, if I had a gun in my pocket, I would shoot this guy. There's a guy holding another guy off the edge of the, the platform and lets go and he falls. They're holding off the edge of the platform like this and let go and they're like going, doing like acrobatic things on their way down. It's stupid. It's the most ridiculous thing. But, but what's terrifying is the GoPro shots where you see what they see as they are running and jumping off the edge of the building and just falling. That is the stuff of nightmares for me. Not Jason and people in hockey masks, like that's the stuff of terrible nightmares for me. My heart just does crazy, crazy things. I wanna, I don't, I don't know, I, 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 I digress. The, the, the second most terrifying video I've seen the past six months is not quite as dramatic, but to me it is just about as bad uh, you guys may have seen this. A man comes home after work and he walks in and what he sees is like the trap door of like you're getting, gonna go in the attic. The trap door to the attic is slightly ajar and there's two snakes hanging from this opening and they're like intertwined. And what one of the commentators said, oh, they're just black snakes in a mating embrace. I don't care. If, if I walked into my house and I see two snakes intercoiled, hanging from a hole in my roof, I would turn around and either burn the building down or sell it immediately. I was like, baby, we are homeless now. Uh, we're gonna live out of this Durango because we are not going in back there. In or under no circumstances are we gonna do that. I have fears, all right, that plague me. But as much as those fears plague me, there's probably one that runs deeper than that uh, to me that, Plagues me all the time. I don't know if, like, there, there are days that pass. I don't think about heights. I don't think about snakes. But I don't know if a day passes where this one fear really strikes me and gets me at the heart. And this isn't gonna, you guys may not be able to relate to this, but I'm just gonna share my fears because I'm, obviously I'm being open and honest with you guys this morning. I have a fear, oh, because I'm a church planner. And when you start 
doing the church plan, there's, you have a lot of fears, a lot of concerns. And some of you guys who are part of the, the original team, like you guys can relate to this. Like you have, you have fears, like my, my fears at the very beginning were like when Megan and I felt called to plant a church was like, hey, is anybody even gonna wanna listen to this idea of planting a church? You know, that's a fear, a fear of rejection. Uh, the next fear was what if, what if nobody wants to join us on this journey? Because it's kind of a crazy journey to plant a church. Another fear that we had was, what if, what if nobody ever, when we like get this thing kind of rolling, what if nobody ever shows up? I mean, that first summer that we were open, like we're small now, that first summer that we were open, uh, there were days, there were Sundays we had like, I don't know, eight or 12 people in this room in that first summer. That was embarrassing and tough. There, there were Sundays where Dale and I would, um, would literally be looking out the window to see if anybody's gonna drive up. We, there were a couple people that just messed with us a couple times that drove up in the parking lot and turned around. I have no idea why they would do that except sent from Satan just to hurt my feelings. <laughs> but the fear that runs deeper than any of those things at this point that, that where we are now is, for me as a church planner, as a leader, as an elder of this church is, what if nobody ever changes? What if we draw a crowd of whatever size? It can be 120 people, it can be 1,000 people. But what if they show up and it's just 90 minutes to kill for them on a Sunday and they never change? That's the kind of fear that the very basis of who I am as a church planner and a minister and an elder really keeps me up at night. I wonder, I, I literally lay in bed and wonder, what if what we're doing isn't affecting anybody or anything? What if nobody ever comes and hears the gospel and for the first time becomes a believer in Jesus Christ and is born again? What if no new believers come and join us and listen to the preaching and be a part of our small groups and grow as a believer? What if people come and are at any stage of their walk, they may have been a new Christian or a Christian a long time, what if they come and join us and they are a part of what we do for months and years on end but they don't change or grow? What if we have people just draw a crowd? It could be small or it could be large and we just kind of killing time. So this passage hits close to home for me because this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13, particularly through verse 20, Paul is thanking God that whenever he came to the church, the people at Thessalonica, there wasn't even a church there. When he came to the people of Thessalonica and he was there for somewhere between just over two weeks to four weeks because he, he uh, reasoned in the synagogue with them for three weeks in a row, three Sundays in a row, three Saturdays in a row, excuse me. And then they were kicked out of the city and had to leave. They changed. This is the kind of fear, the kind of thing that keeps me up at night. I wanna be able to say this. I want us to be able to say this about our lives and about our church. I want us to be able to thank God that we grew and we changed. That the way we were one day is not the way we were a week later. The way we were today is not the way that we are a year from now. That we as a body and we individually grow and are different. I pray that. 
because the heart of a church that's built to last, it's the, the, the title of our, of our series, the, t- the heart of a church that's built to last, the heart of a believer that's a believer that's built to last. Because we've all seen, if you've been around church very long, you've seen somebody that comes in and goes out very quickly. Or somebody comes in for a year or two and then they're gone and you wonder like, not just from our church, but like from Christianity in general, they're just gone and we wonder what's going on. The heart of a believer, the heart of a church that's built to last is a people that are growing and changing and they're becoming more and more like Jesus in the way that they think. They're becoming more and more like Jesus in the way that they speak. They're becoming more and more like Jesus in the way they act. They're becoming more and more like Jesus in the way they even feel about things. And isn't that our heart? Like at the very base, if you're a believer in Christ today, maybe not everybody here is a believer in Christ. But if you're a believer in Christ, in your heart, don't you want to change? Don't you want to grow? Don't we all, if we're honest, see areas of our life that are just really annoying? That we know that displease God? That displease us? That displease the people around us? If you're not a believer in Christ today, don't you want to change? Aren't there certain areas of your life that you would like to see changed? Is there a base hopelessness at the base of who you are that you would like to see done away with? In the very heart, we want to be a people that changes, but how do we change? Paul's thanking God here that they had changed. The church at Thessalonica had changed. And we're going to see three ways that they did that, the pathway to change this morning. Number one, they heard the word. Number two, they accepted the word. Number three, they responded to the word. And if we want to be a people that change, then we have to hear the word. We have to accept the word. And we have to respond to the word. First of all, first of all, we want to be a people that hear the word. Look at verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 2. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The story of when Paul came to Thessalonica is is found in uh, Acts 17. And uh, whenever he was, uh, uh, Paul and his uh, fellow church planners there, as I told you before, they were trying to go to Asia and they they couldn't go there for whatever, for several different reasons. They felt that God's spirit was stopping them from going that direction. Paul had a, a dream one night when he was asleep and a man in Macedonia, which is a part of modern day Greece, said, hey, come to us and preach the gospel. So they took a boat and they went to Philippi and they, in Philippi, they preached the gospel. They were there for a while. The church started to grow and flourish. Things were going great. And then all of a sudden they were, uh, some, well, things went haywire. They were locked up. They were beaten uh, God used that and helped the church to grow even more, but they had to, they had to uh, leave the city. And they left the city, and the next city they came to was Thessalonica. And came to Thessalonica, and they spent three Saturdays, Paul, the, the scripture says, in uh, verse two through three, and, and Paul went in 
to his custom, it says that he found a, before they said he found a synagogue, which is a Jewish house of worship where they'd worship on Saturdays. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. After that, it tells us that the Jews didn't like what he said. They rejected him, but that not a few, that means a lot of Gentile believers and particularly it says women in the, in this, in the region accepted Christ, came to faith, and the church was born. Then the Jews who were in, uh, back in Philippi who had had them uh, beaten, they heard about what was happening in Thessalonica. Actually, I'm, I'm sorry. I mix it up the next, that's what's happened in Berea, which is the next city they go to, but sorry. The Jews get jealous there in Thessalonica about what's happening, they raise up a rabble, a crowd, and they have to sneak out Paul in the middle of the night for his own safety. And Paul and his fellows have to go out in the middle of the night. But yet Paul is now thinking as he's looking back and remembering what God did in that very short time in the church at Thessalonica, as God founded is that they, he says that he's thankful, he's thanking God constantly that when they receive the word of God, which you had heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. So what do we mean, like when it says like he came and he preached the word of God to them and he's thankful that they accepted it, what is it that he's talking about? Well, it tells us there in that passage in Acts 17 what the word was. It says that on those three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and arise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So there are four parts of the word that he proclaimed to them. Well, three parts of the word and one way that he did it. First of all, the way that he did it was that he says that he reasoned with them. Here's something that's interesting about Christianity. Christianity gets a bum rap uh, in society, and partially I think it's because, it was for a couple of reasons. One is because if you're not a believer, it's gonna be difficult for you to understand Christianity because it's gonna be foolishness to you. But also, I don't think Christians have done, have helped our cause very much in the way that we proclaim Christ to the people around us. I think we've often proclaimed him in a very ignorant way. We've, uh, we've uh, kind of looked down on thinking and learning and logic, but there is a logic, there is a reasoning to Christianity. It makes logical sense. You may not agree with it, but it makes logical sense. It is a, it is a whole worldview of thinking about, not just about uh, God and man, but thinking about everything regarding the civilization itself. There's a logic and a reason to it. So when Paul came to a city, the city of Thessalonica, he sat in the, the synagogue with the Jews and he reasoned with them that Jesus was the Christ. First of all, he reasoned with them. That's the way he did it. And the content of his message was, number one, that he, he said that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. So bound up in that is this idea that, that there was a need for somebody to be a a mediator between God and man. And what that means is that, first of all, God is holy, and then secondly, man is sinful. God is holy. He is amazing. He is pure and clear, and he can bear no amount of sin, no amount of rebellion can reside with him. He is holy and just, and yet man is sinful. We are all, every single one, rebels against the good and mighty creator God. God is holy, man is sinful, and because of that, 
because we had rebelled against him, there needed to be somebody that would come and pay. If we were gonna be, if we were gonna be saved, there needed to be somebody that would come and save us, that would pay the penalty that we do had were due to that was due to him by our sin. And I think that is a common sort of bedrock, a common sort of understanding of humanity, regardless of what creed you belong to. It's this sort of feeling that I need somebody to come and rescue me. I need somebody to come and save me. I need somebody who is stronger and more powerful. And I don't mean to trivialize it, but I think one reason that the uh, superhero movies, comic book movies are the most popular form of entertainment right now that, it, that Hollywood has is because we long for somebody or some people who are stronger and more powerful than us to come and save us from the foe that we're facing. We might not even know how to form into words the foe that we're facing. We may not even be able to form into words this longing for somebody to come and save us, but it's the bedrock, it lies below all of us. It was necessary for Christ to suffer. Then he said it was necessary for Christ to rise from the dead. That means that we needed a proof that the sacrifice that was paid was sufficient. And that's what the resurrection of Christ does. It proves that the sacrifice was sufficient. It also proves that Christ, that Jesus was God, which we're getting ready to get to, that he was God. It also proves and shows us that you and I, every single human being, is an eternal being. We were not made for this temporary life where you're born and you die and like it's over. We have an eternal soul. We all have a longing for eternity. We all have at the very base of who we are a kind of concept of eternity that is locked up in man's soul, scripture tells us. And his resurrection shows us that there is an eternal destiny for those who trust Christ that is in unity in communion with the Father, the one you were created for the one you created by. And then thirdly, he said, he reasoned with them that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was alone, was God, that he was man-made flesh for us. They first of all had to hear the word to change. You see that? We thank God when you received the word, you heard from us. We have to hear the word because it has to come from outside us. The reason we're longing for a salvation to come, somebody to come and rescue us is that inside, somewhere down the core of who we are, we know that there, we don't have enough in ourselves to save us. Salvation has to come. There's a Latin word that theologians use. It's called Latin phrase, extra nos. It means that salvation needs to come from outside of ourselves. Salvation has to come. You do not have enough within you to save yourself. No matter how you may hear from teachers, from politicians, from society, from parents telling you that you are awesome, that you are special, that nobody is like you, that's all true to a point, but that you are amazing, that you are enough, and that you, if you just, if you just become your fullest self, that you can do whatever you want to do in life. And you know what? Life will show you over time that that's not true. That your best self, your best work, your best effort will not deliver the best life now that you hope it will. It will always disappoint you over and over again. 
you either won't achieve the goals that you've set out to achieve because you think that's where happiness and salvation lies, because of circumstances that you figure out that life is out of your control, or you will achieve every single one of your goals and every single one of your dreams, and every single time everyone is realized, you'll, you'll realize it's not enough to answer me answer the deepest longing of my souls. I need the salvation that is extra nos, that is outside of myself. And that's why we need to hear the word. So the question for you this morning is, if you're a believer or if you're not a believer and you need a salvation from outside yourself and the pathway to change begins with the door of hearing the word, how are you setting your life up in order to hear the word? Are you setting your your life in such a way that you really believe that the word of salvation, the word of hope for you comes from outside of yourself and so that you need to position yourself so that you'll hear the word? Not just proclaimed on a Sunday morning, but on podcasts and your own personal study and studying with other people to help you understand what it's saying. Are you setting your life up to hear the word because there's no lasting answer from within yourself. But then we see that it wasn't just enough for them to hear the word. They, didn't, they couldn't just hear it. They had to accept it or respond to it. Listen to the wording that he uses in verse 13. And we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word which you heard from us, then he says that you accepted it. You received it, you accepted it. It's not enough just to hear the word. They had to receive it and accept it. In Acts chapter 17, it says, when some of them were persuaded when they, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. How did they accept it? Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. First of all, the way that you accept the word is that you realize that it's not the word of man, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word that is found in the Holy Bible, in scripture, is not the word of man. There's a a differentiation now for you because society says that everything is just the word of man. The Bible, different opinions we hear on TV that we read online, it's all just the word of man. And so uh, you get to choose like what's right for you. And we get to like, life is like an endless buffet that you kind of get to go through. Have you ever seen somebody go through a buffet? Uh, Have you ever noticed like your own plate when you go through a buffet? We eat things together that we would never eat. If, when, if we were just like to serve it up and like design a meal. Like you'll go through a buffet and you'll get fried chicken and you'll get like, oh, they have, uh, they have taco casserole and taco casserole and you'll get some green beans and you'll get a salad and you'll get like, oh, uh, um, look, I'll have a pork chop as well. And then you're like, you, you, sit at your, you sit at your plate and you have like five different meats and you have all these different weird salads and casseroles that all mixed together. And you're like, this looks great. And if somebody said, hey, this is what we're gonna have tonight. We're gonna have pork chops and we're gonna have uh, fried chicken and we're also gonna have mashed potatoes. And we're also gonna have like tacos and roast. You'd be like, that is terrible. But you go to a buffet and you're like, I'll have all of that and give me some scrambled eggs as well. And that sounds great. And that's kind of like what most of our lives look like. We go through life and we pick out the buffet. This sounds good to me and this sounds good to me. This sounds right to me. And we build our plate. We build our 
our idea of life. We build our worldview about these different ideas that sound good. When we put it together, we eat it, but it doesn't match together. But when you hear the word of God, the pathway to change begins with you when you accept that this is different than everything else. It's not just an opinion. I don't get just to decide whether it's right or wrong. It is true and it is real. Because the word of man is full of opinion and the word of man is full of agendas. If somebody stands up and tells you what their opinion is, they usually have an agenda in mind. They want you to join their team or they want you to do something for them. But the word of God is not an opinion of man. It's not full of an agenda that some man is pushing. You accept not only that it's the word of man, but they became convinced, and we have to become convinced that it's the word of God. And you know how that happens? Open that first. You know how that happens? It's a miracle. That's how it happens. Because I can't sit down and convince you that this is the word of God. I can't sit down and convince you Paul was the greatest theologian possibly ever. He stands in front of the Jews who are waiting for the Messiah to come in the synagogue and he proclaims that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and most of them reject it. He couldn't convince them, but some people did believe. Do you know why? Because God caused there to be a miracle in their soul that when they heard it, the word of God had self-authenticating power to their hearts and to their minds. Because the word of God is self-authenticating. And it, con- it contains in itself its own authority, its own convincing power that comes to you and convinces you beyond, it is logical, but beyond logic. It is reasonable, but beyond reason that somewhere deep in your soul, you know that it's real. Just like I can tell you that honey is sweet or fried chicken is amazing or that the burger that I had last week was rocking, but you can't, you might believe it because I tell you and convince it to you, but you will not know it until you taste it and you see for yourself. And when you've tasted it, nobody can convince you otherwise. You, by any amount of money in the world, cannot convince me that fried chicken is one of the best things you can have in the world to eat. I know it because I've tasted it and I've experienced it. It has self-authenticating power that causes you to be able to taste and sense it in your soul. Have you ever seen like on a playground, like a bunch of kids playing and one parent, there's like lots of different kids, lots of different parents, but one parent calls out and says, stop it to their kid. Now, there, you see something powerful at work there because you see the, the parent, like you know, like that tone, not like the stop it, stop it, stop it, but the stop it, like that is, that is mommy, daddy, code red, I better stop it now or things are gonna go very poorly for me. Now, all the other kids on the playground may hear those words. They may even stop and look. They may know somebody is trouble and that parent is meaning business, but it will not have the same effect on the heart of, that, of those kids as it will the heart of the child of that parent to which they're speaking because that child hears the voice of the parent and knows it's their voice. That command has self-authenticating power to their soul because they know that is the word of their father or their mother. 
when the, word, pow, the power of the word of God is that it has self-authenticating power when it is heard by his children. Have you heard that? Have you heard that call? Have you heard his word proclaimed, whether it's like this or sitting down and reading it or sharing it with some people around a table, around a living room, and it has a power to your soul that, that is, defies description is beyond reason and beyond logic? Because we know it to be the word of God, we will not listen to another like a sheep who knows the shepherd's voice because we understand it to be our lifeline. We understand it to be our safety. We understand it to be our hope of nourishment and refreshment. We may be tricked for a time. If you're a believer, you may be tricked for a time to follow another, but it will not last. It cannot last because you know in your heart of hearts and your soul of souls that that is not the word of your father. And Paul is giving thanks to the church of Thessalonica. He is giving thanks that they heard the word, but then when they heard it, they accepted it. Not just the word of men, but as it really was, as the word of God. It has the picture they welcomed it, they embraced it, they responded in such a way that is in accordance with the word of God. And my question for us today is, do we respond and embrace and welcome the word of God in that same way? Do you have a longing that's deep in your soul to change and to grow and to be in communion with your heavenly father in such a way that you build your life around hearing the word of God and accepting it? Do you respond in such a way that's in accordance with it being the word of God? Because if we do, we will respond in two ways. We'll receive the word with eagerness. Do you receive the word with eagerness? Do you long for it like your next breath? I had a small, it feels small now, I guess it was a full bowl of cereal early this morning when I got up. That is long gone. At this very moment, I'm aware that my stomach is rumbling and growling and empty, and I'm very close to being the point of being hangry. I'm very aware of that. My need my, or my longing, maybe I don't need, my longing for my next meal are you aware of your longing for your next meal? Do you receive it with eagerness? And secondly, do you receive it with humility? Understanding that that is the word of God and not man. It is an authority over you. He's an authority over you. And we must bow our knee to the authority of God, to the word of God, saying, I eagerly accept it and I bow my knee to you. Have your way, say what you will to me. Expose the parts of my life, expose the parts of my thinking that are not in accordance with you and let it be convicting to me. Let me experience that sweet pain of conviction so that I might, by your grace, respond in repentance. That's the heart of a believer. And that's the pathway to change. Quickly as we end. The pathway to change is that we hear the word. Paul's thinking that they heard the word. Paul's thinking that they accepted the word. They received it with eagerness. They received it with humility. But lastly, he says he's thankful that they responded to the word. You received it, the word of God, which you heard from us and accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators 
for the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Listen to that. Christian, this is your hope for growth and change. This is your hope that no matter what sin keeps tripping you up, no matter what broken habits you have, no matter how you can't seem to seemingly get around the hump, that if you will hear the word and accept the word as the word of God and not man, that his power, his spirit is at work in the heart of you believers. It's at work inside you, not from outside, but from inside you. That wording there in the original Greek has, has to do with, with power. It means that we received and accepted the word. It has denotes that the word continues to be at work in us. It performs its work. It denotes activity and energy. Receiving and accepting the word for what it is causes us, because God's spirit is at work in our hearts, it causes us to be able to respond in joyful worship and repentance and faith. Then after that, they became imitators. A beautiful picture here, and we'll be done. The beautiful picture here, when he says that you became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. The church in Judea was the first church, the first believers to come to Christ. That was way over in Palestine, in the Middle East. Now these are believers up in Greece who are not Jewish by background, they are Gentiles by background. They had nothing in common with the, believe, with the first believers down in Palestine, in Judea except when they heard the word and they responded to the word, God's spirit became at work inside them and their lives began to look like the lives of the believers back in Judea. Do you know why that can happen? Because regardless of socioeconomic background, regardless of cultural background, regardless of language, regardless of previous belief system, When God's spirit comes to you, you hear the word and you accept it and you respond to it by the power of his spirit inside you. His, the same spirit that was in those early believers are inside you. The same spirit, in fact, that was in Christ Jesus himself is inside you. The same spirit that was inside Paul is inside you. And that is the assurance. That is the assurance that when we hear the word and we accept it and we receive it eagerly with humility as the word of God, that it will have its work in us and enable us to respond in such a way that we become imitators of Christ, of Jesus, imitators of the church at Thessalonica, the, church, the imitators of the church at Judea, the imitators of Paul and the early disciples themselves. We want to change. And there is a pathway to change. The question for us this morning is, will we be a people, will you be a person this morning that responds joyfully to God's spirit at work in your heart and says, I wanna build my life around hearing, accepting, and responding to your word so that I See and the people around me see me growing in likeness to Christ for the glory of God. I pray that we'll be that kind of people. I pray it'll be something that keep us all up at night.
that we would see it and it would be a joy to us as we see God working in our midst. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the miracle of salvation. Every single person that comes to faith in Christ, that hears the word and believes it to be not just the word of man, but the word of God, that that is a miracle. And Father, I pray if, for any person here who has not experienced that in their soul and in their heart and in their life, that they would this morning, that they would hear the word, the gospel of who you are and what you have done for us in Christ as we point towards communion, that you would cause them to become believers in Christ today. They would place their faith and trust in you and repent of their sins. Father, for those of us who are believers, I pray we would rejoice in the miracle of our own salvation, that you cause the word to come to to have self-authenticating power with our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people that are not content to sit idly by, but you'd help us to make the driving passion of our lives to grow in likeness to you so that we would follow in your footsteps, giving our lives to the people around us for your glory and for our joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.